springtime, and that means it's time to get out the clubs, chase that little ball around, and be humbled. <laughs> I'm still learning this game I picked up 10 years ago. I picked it up because of my son. My youngest son liked to play, so I figured I'd try and learn to, learn to play the game of golf, and sometimes I feel like I'm out there for other people's entertainment. Um, they love to watch me play. Uh, when I had my heart surgery at uh, 43, uh, my, heart at, my heart doctor asked me if um, I had a lot of stress on my job. And uh, <laughs> yeah, as a Pope Catholic, I mean, come on. He said, uh, well, he says, uh, Pastor, let me tell you, he says, when I find out that my patients have a lot of stress, I tell them to start playing golf. I said, well, Doc, what if, what if they got stressed and they play golf already? He said, I, told, I tell them to quit. <laughs> it's a pretty stressful game. I like to play the game of golf alone. I like to go out and just uh, spend some time out, on the, out in a nice area with God and uh, the pro that I, I uh, place I go to comes to our church, and I tell him, I'm going to go talk with my boss, and we're going to spend some time together. So uh, recently I was out there, I was alone, and I got to the first tee, and I teed off and, of course, uh, sprayed it left right into the trees, and the uh, hole didn't go so well. Went to the second hole, and I think that wasn't much better, third hole. And I got to the fourth hole. The fourth hole in the place I play at is a water hole. And I figured I'd get one of my old balls out because it's a pretty good shot that I'm going to get it into the water there. So I got an old ball out, and I put it on the tee, and I was about to hit it. And all of a sudden, unbelievable, a voice came from the sky. Couldn't believe it. And it said, use the new ball. So I thought, wow, God is watching me play. I better watch what I'm putting down on the scorecard here. And uh, so I got out the new ball, I put it out there, and I'm about to address the ball, and all of a sudden, the voice came from the sky again. Take a practice swing. Wow. He's really watching. Okay, so I went back, and I, I took a couple of practice swings, showed God what I could do, and I got up there, and I'm about to hit the ball, and I, one more time from this guy. Use the old ball. <laughs> I cracked myself up here. <laughs> uh, listen, if you play golf, one of the things you got to have is a short memory. You got to be able to uh, move on and not dwell on past mistakes, whether those mistakes are in the water or into the trees. What I want to talk to you about this morning is forgetting your past. Putting your past in the past, in the rearview mirror. Because how you allow your past to influence your life really determines your future. Let me repeat that. In my line of work, I talk to a lot of people who are struggling with problems. 
How you allow your past to influence your life now will dictate your future. And that's why I believe that God has so much to say to us in the Bible about dealing with our past. Now, I'm assuming, of course, that you are honest enough to admit that you do have a past. We all have one. We've all made mistakes. Uh, we have all fallen short of God's standard. We have regrets from our past. And I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about events in your past where you were a victim. It really wasn't your fault at all. I'm talking about things from your past that you were at fault. There's some guilt. There's some shame there. How do people deal with their past? Well, people deal with their past in lots of different ways. The first way they try and deal with their past, a lot of people, is they try and hide it, like it's not even there. Uh, Psalm 32 says that. Psalm 32, verse 4 says, Day and night, this is David speaking, Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. But finally, I confessed all of my sins to you, and you stop and stop trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me, and all my guilt is gone. Yeah, what David did is what we try and do sometimes. We try and hide it. We know there's something inside of us that needs to be cleaned up, but we kind of try and hide it from people and even sometimes from God. That's what happened in the garden. Remember what happened in the garden here in Genesis chapter 3? And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God. That's the first thing they did is they hid among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to the man. Notice he calls to the man. Adam was responsible. He was the spiritual leader. Where are you? He answered, I heard you in, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Way to go, Adam. Blame your wife right off the bat. There you go. It's not like, you know, Adam was off pruning the rose bushes somewhere in the garden. He was there. He was there. He was passive. The first sin is passive leadership. He does not show leadership. He, is, he does not protect his wife as he was supposed to. He was silent. He did nothing. He participated in the sin. They both try and hide it. And then when God confronts Adam, Adam's responsible. He blames somebody else. That's what we do. We hide, try and hide things from God. Or we blame other people, right? We blame other people for our stuff all the time. One of the areas we blame people a lot in is our anger. Yeah, we all do this. We blame other people for our anger issue. It's his fault. That's why I get angry. It's his fault. It's her fault. She makes me get angry. Stop it. Stop. You get angry because you have a problem. And here's the problem. You feel like whenever we get angry, folks, it's because we feel our rights have been violated. Somewhere inside of us, we're thinking, I have a right to be treated that way. I have a right for them to, to expect them to do that. Here's a solution to your anger. Give up your rights. Give up your rights. Lower your expectations of what your rights are. You'll see that your anger gets lower. But it's easier to blame other people. 
Here's another way people deal with their anger. They try to ignore. They, they, they stuff it down like, it's, like it never even happened. David, again, tried to do that in Psalm 38. My guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sin. <clears throat> I'm bent over, racked with pain. All day long I walk around filled with grief. A raging fever burns within me and my health is broken. I'm exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. Yeah, that's what happens. When you try and stuff this stuff down and ignore it, it shows itself in, our, in your body, in your emotions, in your mental state. It, it somehow has a way of causing destruction when we try and ignore our shame and guilt. It leads to all kinds of inner turmoil. Uh, that's, why, that's why there's so many counselors and therapists. What they do is they help us uncover what we're trying to stuff down. And it, and it usually shows itself in unhealthy relationships. It's, it's amazing to me how many times I'm with someone who has a terminal illness. And all of a sudden, they start taking inventory of their life, and they, they realize that they don't want to stuff this stuff down anymore. And now they want to talk about it. And they want to tell other people about the stuff they've been ignoring for years. And sometimes the family members, they don't want to hear it. But the one who's dying saying, I, I, I got to get this out. Or some people try and punish themselves. In the Middle Ages, they had something called self-flagellation. What you did was, in fact, the, the monastic movement got involved with this a little bit. And that's it. You had to punish your body for your sins. Martin Luther tried to do this. In fact, uh, we know that he would even lose consciousness sometimes from trying to inflict himself with pain. He felt, if I beat myself up enough, God might forgive me for my sins. People do that today. They beat themselves up. They try and punish themselves. They don't do it with a whip or anything like that, but somehow they can't get rid of their guilt or shame. And so they start to punish themselves through alcohol or drugs or eating or sex. They continually make bad choices and self-destruct because they really don't believe that they deserve anything better because they're struggling with what they did, so they have to punish themselves. I remember, I remember in my study having a very successful doctor in front of me. Had a, he had everything. He had a great reputation. He had a good family, wife, kids, lots of money. He was at the peak of his, of his career. And then he started making all kinds of crazy decisions, and he was self-destructing, and I... I said to him, what are you doing? Don't you, don't you realize what you're doing? You're doing this all your, to yourself. And, and somehow he couldn't see that he was doing it to himself because it, there was something from his past that we just touched on. He didn't feel he deserved any of it. He had to punish himself. Well, all those things you shouldn't do. What should you do with your past? Well, the Bible does give us specific things, and I'm going to mention four of them. It's probably not exhaustive, 
But these are four steps that I would think about if I'm going to deal with my past in a healthy way according to what God says. The first thing, of course, is you've got to confess your shame and guilt to God. What I mean by that, because some of you have said, well, I've done that. No, no, I'm talking about a full 100% confession. Um, Psalm 32, again, David speaking. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there's still time that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. He says, I confess my rebellion to you. Sin at its very root, every time we sin, is a, an attempt to usurp decision-making that alone belongs to God. And we, we take that decision-making ourselves and we rebel. The very first step in losing your shame and guilt is 100% acknowledgement that all of this guilt comes from what I have done. I'm not going to make any excuses. I'm not going to run away from God. I'm not going to blame anybody. I'm not going to blame my circumstances. I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm not going to try and pay for it myself. I'm just going to simply confess my mistake to God once. How many times do you have to confess it? Once. 100% confession once. It's very interesting what the word confession is in the New Testament. It's a Greek word. It's homologeo. Homologeo. Uh, let's take that apart. Homo, of course, is same. Same. Logeo is from logos. Jesus is the logos, which means word or to speak so you put them together the word for confession is to speak the same in other words it's to agree with God God you've been telling me this for years through my conscience I know it I was wrong you and I both know it I'm going to admit it to you full confession no excuses no blame no self-punishment I've sinned, I have failed you. God says, I just want you to admit it to me. And if you do that, if you do that, I'll forgive it. Don't bargain with God. Don't say, listen, Lord, if, I've, if you forgive me, I'll, I'll, I'll not do this again. I'll, not, I'll, I'll, I'll tithe, I'll uh, whatever. I'll go to church every week. Don't bargain with God. He doesn't want that. He just wants you to come and simply confess it. 1 John 1, 1, 8 and 9 is the classic verse. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. The first thing you need to do is confess it. Second, of course, is you need to accept. Accept what? Accept what God has done for that wrong or that sin that you're so ashamed of. And that, of course, is speaking about the cross. We just were done with Easter and Good Friday. That's what this is all about. And I meet people all the time who get to 
to get to the first one. I, I've confessed this to God, but they don't realize what Christ has done for them. Maybe because they've never heard the gospel really explained to them. Or they never personalized it. Yeah, I know he died for the sins of the world, but not for that thing that I did. No, when he dies on that cross, he dies for that thing that your show is so ashamed of that you think he could never forgive. Stop blaming people. Stop trying to punish yourself. Stop trying to use religion to cover it up. It won't do it. It won't take it away. Trust me, all the religion in the world will not take away that guilt or shame. There's only one power in the universe that can cleanse our conscience and take it away. And that's the power of Christ's blood at that cross. And so he says, I want you to come to that cross and accept what I did to cover and forgive and pay for your sin. Romans 8.1 says this, therefore, there is no condemnation. Now, I'm not going to condemn anybody for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's another word that's used, of course, when the Bible talks about um, our past and our sin, and, and that's the word justify. When, when, when someone comes to that cross and gives their, their, their wrong to God and allows him to forgive it and cover it, it says God then declares you not guilty. And, and some people misunderstand that. I've heard this sometimes. What's it like I never sinned? God looks at me like I never sinned. No, that's not true. That's not true. He knew you sinned. He, of course, we just said you have to come and fess up. You have to say, I'm guilty. When he says you're justified now like a judge, what he's saying is you're guilty, but somebody has paid the price for that. And because the price has been paid, Justice is satisfied. You are not guilty. You're free now to go. You're free. You're free from that offense. You're free. You don't owe anything to God. It's been paid. God himself has paid the price. Justified. You're free. Now, pause button. Let me tell you something. The devil never wants you free. He never wants you free from that thing you did. He wants to constantly bring it up. He wants you to be condemned for eternity. You're not worth it. You think that God really has forgiven you for that? Look at what you did. You should have known better. You think a God will ever forgive you for that? Whenever you hear that kind of voice, that's from the devil. That's not from God. Once you confess your sin to God, once you come there and by faith, Allow his blood to cover your sins and to be applied to that thing. It's gone. I mean, that sin is gone. Psalm 103, verse 10. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. And then there's that great verse in Isaiah. You should have this underlined in your Bible. Isaiah 38, verse 17. Listen to this. In your love, you have kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all of my sins behind your back. Wow. God says that when he forgives sin, he puts it behind 
his back. In other words, God's saying, I don't even want to see them anymore. I don't want to look at them again. They're gone. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. If God deals with your sin and your guilt in this way, why do you keep bringing it up? If it's behind his back, why do you keep thinking about it? Why do you keep nailing yourself to the wall? He's nailed himself to a tree. What am I supposed to do? Confess it. 100% honest, no excuse confession. Number two, accept what he's done. Number three, and this you need to do, Christian, you need to forgive yourself. I'll never forget in my ch- the church I came from. First day I was there. First day I went to go pastor this church. The, the, the lead elder in that church takes me out for lunch. And the uh, first question he had for me was, what's the vision? You're a visionary. What's the vision? I said, well, geez, I just got here. I got to spend time with God. I got to assess what the situation is here. And then God somehow will help me to develop a picture of what he wants to do. But you got to give me some time. I said, let's not talk about vision. Let's talk about you. I want to get to know you. And his face went down. And I said, tell me, Jerry, tell me about yourself. He said, well, pastor, I, I think I can trust you. He says, you know, actually, he says, uh, God's been very good to me, but I don't deserve it. Why not, Jerry? Well, I grew up in a Christian home. I've been very successful. He's blessed me. He gave me a great wife and kids. I had an affair on my wife about 10 years ago. I'm ashamed about it. I said, well, have you brought it before Christ? He goes, yeah, yeah, I understand. I understand he forgives me. I said, well, what are you doing with it? He says, well, I just, I can't forgive myself. He says, I, I should have known better. I never should have let it happen. And I said to him, Jerry, do you understand what God did to take all that shame and guilt and put it away from you? Do you understand how you dishonor him when you say you can't forgive yourself when he has forgiven you? See, God can't do a new thing in your life until it's behind you. He wants to do a new thing, but he can't do it if you're holding on to your past. That's why in Isaiah it says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. God wants to do a new thing in your life. He wants to give you a clean slate. He really does. He wants to leave your past in the past, but he can't do it until you forgive yourself and you trust him. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 says, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, I press on and take hold of that of which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this one thing I will do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead. 
You got to confess it. Get it off your chest. You got to accept what Christ has done for you. You got to forgive yourself. And finally, you got to trust Him. For what? You got to trust Him that somehow He's going to do, and this, I'm telling you, this is the best part. What I call the great reversal. I watch it all the time as a pastor. It's one of the greatest things about being in this job. I see people go through the toughest stuff, stuff they've caused. And when they go through the whole redemptive process at the end, I see God do a great reversal. God has a knack of taking all the ugly, painful, sinful stuff from your past and making something out of it that's actually beautiful and good. It's amazing. The great reversal. Romans 8, 28, of course, is the verse. And we know that God causes everything. Not to, it doesn't say everything's good, of course. It says he causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. He does it all the time here. If I were to go through this worship center right now, it's a story after story after story. At the end of the story, you're going to hear the great reversal. Let me show you one. His name is Eric. There was never the mention of love in our house. There was never a talk about God, His promises, anything like that. And uh, made a decision uh, to follow Christ and be saved. Uh, but then when you go back to a house that Christ is not talked about, and you're 12 years old, uh, you lose track, and uh, that created a lot of confusion. I went looking for love in the wrong places, and um, I found that in my high school girlfriend when I was 15. I'll never forget her sitting at the end of my bed. She puts her head in her knees and just starts crying, and uh, she told me we were pregnant. We were very quick to abort a child. We basically didn't even think about it. But when you look back at your life and you go, man, I did that. I did that when I was left to myself. That was my best. And so that's what led to a lot of destruction that followed in my life. I knew that God wanted to save me. And here I am feeling like I'm the furthest thing from being saved. So when, so when I met Ari, she was so loving about it. She saw potential in me that I didn't know I had. Now my walk didn't just flip that. I didn't become, you know, this wonderful disciple right then and there. That was a process. But I knew I wanted it. A year into marriage, we find out that she's pregnant. Um, and uh, we're pretty excited. This is fantastic. I'm a little more terrified. Uh, but we're actively going to church. My walk is strengthening. It must have been four or five months into her pregnancy. We're told that the baby is, has a heightened risk for a birth defect. And it crushed me. Um, so I remember the next day at work, we'd gone home, we'd prayed about it the night before. We were comfortable with this, but I felt like I was the one to blame because I aborted. I, walk, I go to our house, 
I'll never forget the sound of my truck keys hitting the floor and I hit my knees right then. And for the first time, I let go of my life. I got out of the driver's seat and I just prayed to God, uh, come in and take care of this because I don't know what to do. But I will be always willing to follow your lead. Just give me that direction. And it wouldn't have mattered had there been a birth defect. Uh, the transformation happened nonetheless. And he doesn't promise to give you back your shame. Oh, you want your shame back? Here you go, you do it. My work wasn't enough here. You do it and work your way through it. That wasn't it. It was about God's love. It's a wonderful thing to be on this side of such hurt and to see life for what God truly meant it to be is so amazing. It's given me a, a, a peaceful heart, uh, a joyous spirit, uh, things that I never knew before. Love, I never heard love. And I know when I talk to God every day that I'm loved. As we're, we're growing closer, she just says someday, you know, you ought to name your child. You're a born child. So she helped me with that. We prayed hard about it, and we ended up naming her Grace. And so now we have a daughter uh, named Eddie, and Eddie, uh, someday I'll get to tell her about why her middle name is Grace. Yep. Great reversal. That's what God does. But you got to trust Him. You got to trust Him. He's going to do that for you. Somebody told me once, God working in your life and forgiveness is like baking a cake. You know, it's got you got all these ingredients, separate ingredients. You got flour, which is very dry and dull. You got raw eggs, which is yuck. You got Crisco, which is double yuck. But you put them all together. What do you get? Crispy cream donut. <laughs> Tell you what, man, I remember the first Krispy Kreme donut I ever had. St. Charles, Illinois, soccer tournament. Man, oh baby, it was like a spiritual experience I was having there. <laughs> Separately, bad stuff. The same way with God. You give him all of your life, everything. Give him everything. He starts to put a picture together comes out good. Pastor, can God bring good with the awful experience I went through? The cross. Pretty bad experience. And what did God do? I oh, just saved the world through that. He can do it in your life. But you got to trust him that he can put all those pieces together. Here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to think about the biggest mistake you've ever made in life. Shouldn't be too hard to figure that one out. You know that big mistake that you made? Well, here's reality. God knew you were going to make it even before you were born. He knew it. But he said, you know what? We're going to keep that in the plan. And what God did was he developed a plan to bring good 
out of that bad thing for those who know him and are called according to his purpose. What a God. Pretty amazing. That God could take arrogance and selfishness and pain and rebellion and he could make it come out good. Amazing. Confess, accept, forgive yourself, trust him. Our worship team's going to come out, meet us in a song. Before we close, I want to pray with you. Would you bow your heads with me? I want us to do some business with Jesus right now. I believe in a place this big, I'm sure God has worked in some hearts here. And maybe this is the first time you've ever really, really talked to him about this in a way that's full 100% confession. I want you to do that this morning. I want you to say to God, God, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to agree with you that if you, if you said that you'd be faithful and just and forgive my sin if I confess it to you, I'm going to, I'm going to accept that today. I'm going to accept your forgiveness. I've never done that before, but I'm going to keep you at your word. I'm going to believe that you've forgiven me for this. I mean, really forgiven me for this. Yeah. Which means I'm going to forgive myself. I'm not going to carry it anymore. God, somehow, I believe that you'll do that reversal in my life, too. Somehow, some good will come out of this. Yeah. Lord, I pray that you would write those kinds of stories in the lives of people who come to Appleton Alliance, that you'd do it again and again and again in this place. Thank you for the great God that you are. I pray in your name. Amen. Well, we're going to close with a song that's a prayer, really.